slurring um it's because my brother-in-law brought me a beer called sneaky weasel and i'm 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 a lightweight person um i don't drink i don't smoke so um i'm a little bit buzzed right away so anyways welcome to the far out wisdom mini series called drunk philosophy you're probably wondering what does being intoxicated have to do with anything regarding philosophy. Here are a list of philosophers that some of you or most of you probably know. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, Walter Benjamin, William James, Michel Foucault, and Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, what, what do all of them have in common? Well, they took drugs. I'm not sure exactly Sartre, however... Uh, like college students during his time, he had psychedelics injected into his arms to see a new outlook in life. Um, Benjamin experienced with hashish. Uh, hash is an abstract from the cannabis plant. It contains the concentrated psychoactive resins. Benjamin took the opium and masculine. Um, he didn't have a supplier like we motherfuckers do now, so he depended on his doctors to get his drugs. Foucault took LSD while he was here in California. This dude is, he, this dude did everything short of heroin. Uh, Nietzsche took opium, and even wrote his own prescription and, and called himself Doctor Nietzsche. Drugs disrupt the normal state of consciousness. Philosophers consent to the to these interruptions by taking large large doses of drugs, preferably psychedelics. I don't I don't remember exactly where I read the article, but there was one written where a student took LSD while reading Immanuel Kant, and they understood the material more under the influence than if they were sober. There will be moments where I'll be taking psychedelics. However, like right now. I'm going to start drinking uh, while talking about philosophy. I'm starting small, y'all. Um, I'm not. I'm not quite there yet, but I'm feeling a little buzz. So today, on our first episode, is about death. Um, I'm using an essay, "The Soul and Death" by Carl Jung. To best summarize this the best that I can, Young is pointing out that we don't understand our physical limit limitations due to, to the due to the denial of our de degradation process that is a part of our natural state. Um, newsflash: We will die. It seems that we don't seem to understand that. It seems to us Westerners that growing old is some sort of you know annoyance. So the essay, I have been reading about this essay for quite some time, and I have been wanting to talk about it. Um, so I took some quotes, and I really don't want this episode to kind of drag on. But um, so he starts off by saying that when death confronts us, life always seems like a downward flow or like a clock that has been wind up. And whose eventual running down is taken for granted. We are never more convinced of this running down than when a human life comes to its end before our eyes. And the question of the meaning of worth of life never becomes more urgent or more agonizing than when we see the final breath leave a body which a moment before leaving. So I I did talk about my my grandmother who died back in January. She died January 11th, 2020. And right on New Year's, we went and visit her. And I remember, I'm an empathic person and I can feel everybody's energy. You don't have to tell me anything, but I know what's going through your head. I mean, I'm not 
I'm not perfect. I'm not going to nail everything right on the head, but I could just, this is the first time in my life that I felt absolutely nothing from another person. And, you know, in all honesty, I thought we're going to get two more months out of her. Um, and just like Carl Jung was talking about, it's, it's the meaning of life or what is worth came came in right in front of my face it confronted me and I came to a realization of how how precious every living second is I mean westerners or, or just people in general they just go through life every single day they don't really think about what's going on and they feel like I'm turning I'm in my 30s now and I just remember graduating high school, thinking about college, you know, going to work, and everything's just going like in a flash flow. And um, now that I'm, I'm, I'm going to be 40 in less than eight years, and it never really hit me, you know, and I'm not really ashamed of my age. And we're going to talk about that as I go through the essay, what Carl Jung was trying to say. And we just forget that we are limited beings and humans do not live forever. And just like I said, it's just, it's like a form of annoyance to some people and, and people often forget and take things for advantage, take things, take things, they take advantage of things and they they don't realize that we don't live forever, you know, and it hits everybody at the moment that somebody dies. And this is where people start to mourn and grieve. And so I prepare myself for death for quite some time. I mean, um, just like I talked about in, in previous podcasts, I mean, the first death that I came across was of, of a little girl who got hit by a car in front of me when I was I was young. And that led me to philosophy and start to question about, you know, the, the meaning of existence, why things happen. And so it kind of prepared me in a way, and I'm not, I'm not ashamed of it. And, you know, a lot of people like, you know, I'm, I'm just, I just want to think about death. I just, I don't want to think about death. I want to think about life, positivity, um, and it seems like, you know, the Westerners, they view, they view death as an interruption to their existence, whereas they don't realize that death is a way, it's a process and a cycle to our, our very existence itself. And I understand that it's an end of our conscious, consciousness and we don't, um, it's, it's scary, you know? So I, 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 that's what Carl Jung was trying to say is that, you know, the moment that we face death is the moment that we start to question death so and then he goes on to continue about youth he says youth we should like to think has purpose future meaning and value whereas the coming to an end is only a meaningless secession if a young, a young man is afraid of the world of life and the future then everyone finds it regrettable, senseless, neurotic. He is considered a cowardly sh sh uh, striker. But when an aging person, an aging person sickly shudders and even and is even more mortally afraid at the thought that he's his reasonable expectation of life now amounts to only so many years, then we are painfully reminded of certain feelings within our our own breasts. We look away and turn the conversation to some other topic. The optimism with which we judge the young man is false here. Naturally, we have a hand for every eventuality, one or two suitable banalities about life, which we occasionally hand out to the other, other fellow, such as everyone must die sometime. One doesn't live forever. <clears throat> so this is where... The West, we're just so, our fascination with youth and life and just the 
freshness of youth and the you know I I you know I remember when I was young and my parents you know I told my mom and dad when I I I I my aunt passed away and I said to mom I said mom that's a picture of aunt she she's not alive anymore and my mom was like you know don't be afraid you're young don't think about things like that and uh, we're raised Buddhist. I was raised Buddhist. And so with Buddhism, you know, we think about, we believe in reincarnation. We're going to come to things that we, you know, if you mistreat an animal, you will come back and ask the animal that was mistreated by you in the previous life. And my mom was like, don't think about things like that. You're just a young person right now. That's not your concern. And, you know, that's, that's true. I mean, we don't, when a young person is scared of death, we're like, oh, well, you're young. Don't think about such a thing. You're young. And then when an old person goes out and try to get support, hey, I'm scared. I'm going to die. I'm scared. Oh, well, we don't want to talk about things like that. We're just going to ignore old people. I mean, look how the way we treat are our elders here in the United States. We don't respect them. They're just useless. You know, don't think about things like that. You're you're just we're all gonna die. It happens. Can you imagine telling that to I don't know, a five year old little boy who comes up to you and say, Mommy, mommy, I'm scared. Oh, we're just gonna all gonna die. I mean, nowadays you can Someone can report you for child abuse, you know, and you can scare a child that way. But when an old person approaches somebody and say, I'm scared, I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, there's stories of darkness and peace, but I'm not really sure that's true. And it's just that we judge people. We don't think about things like this. And I always talk about, you know, why won't we prepare for death? Not at a young age. What we need to do is kind of educate. You know, I'm really happy at the, not happy, but I'm really blessed. I know that's a silly word to use. But I'm thankful that my parents, even if they told me, don't worry about death, you're a young person. My parents, they taught me the ability to respect the cycle of nature and that includes death along with it and some people can make the argument okay that that adds to your anxiety but no i mean it 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 helped me in the process of respecting mother nature and that this the cycle of of life and i know that sounds cliche but it makes sense to me now as I'm older that I'm becoming older and um, it's just that we like Young said everyone must die sometimes and, and you know just like we tell everybody everyone must die sometimes sometimes people can make the argument that it's cruel you should not say that to an old person but being, with them being scared is justified. Everybody is scared of death. You're scared of death. I'm scared of death. You know, what's going to happen? Is it going to hurt? Is it going to, you know, where are we going to go? Is there, am I going to be faced with heaven? Am I going to be faced with hell? If, you know, you know, everything, our religious institutions, you know, teaches us about what's going to happen to us before, you know, after we die, you know, it's scary. And, you know, with anxiety and everything along the way, we kind of understand why people get scared, especially old people, because they're closer to it. You know, they're they're near the end. Um, I mean, everybody dies, you know, baby dies, you know, old people die, young people die, you know, anything can happen. But um, we have to remember that um, <clears throat> being prepared for, you know, living like every every day is your last um kind of makes sense a little bit 
and this is why I take the time out of my day. You know, I talk to my friends every single day. I, I, you know, that's why I have the free flow mind sex series on, you know, the far out wisdom is because I want to capture my friend's wisdom. You know, when Aliana died, <clears throat> you know, I, I felt like a, a sense of regret because I didn't catch it, you know, and everything that she talked about, you know, we talked about for four hours last year back in November and I didn't capture any of it. And I regret it till this day. And this is why we have to respect, you know, the elders and their opinion of it, of how they feel. And um, I think there's a problem, you know, with our society, especially especially the West, of, of our inability to empathize with with our elders, of their fear, you know? So if we... I think to solve that is to kind of prepare us for it, you know, as we, you know, the decade before, you know, in about 30 years, I'd be 60, you know, 60 years old. So, you know, talk about these things and I'm kind of happy that I really started early about it because I'm not really afraid of, of as death as everyone normally would. I'm not saying everybody is. Um, but normally, you know, some people will be really scared about it. But um, I have been preparing for this for quite some time. And I, I'm not making myself sound suicidal or anything like that. But it's just I get it. I mean, who doesn't want to live forever? You know, so. So anyways, Carl Jung continues. He said, many young people have a bottom, a panic fear of life through the same time they intensely desire it. And even a greater number of aging have the same fear of death. And so when I was young, and just like everybody else, we're living our teenage year. We're like, you know, everything, the world feels like everything is against us. We feel taken advantage of. We feel that life is unfair. And, you know, like, oh, it's like, oh my God, it'd be, I, I remember I have all my diaries. So when I was a lot younger, I wrote a lot in my diaries. I kept track of everything, how I was feeling. And I started around sixth grade and I, I, I didn't continue journaling. And, and, and um, I encourage everybody to keep a journal till the end. And I, I don't have the time that I do now, but I think that was my way of releasing my stress um, and my anxiety when I was a lot younger. And, um, I read, I read a sentence one time when I was like sophomore in high school and this is, I was going through like hormones. And so I was like, you know what? It would be easier if, if I just fucking die. And so now I'm like, no, wait, you know, and it's, I, I think, you know, as as young people, just like old people, we're kind of scared about that as well. And so we, I think this is where depression sets in. It's because we're just, our, we we came to the realization that we are limit, limitless, I'm sorry, we're limited beings. And so that scares the fuck out of us, especially, especially when we're young. And so a lot of people don't want to, you know, question they don't want to question about death, especially a young person. I mean, it's like, you know, no, you know, no, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, talk about these things because I'm young. You shouldn't worry about this thing, these things because my mom, I remember my mom telling me that. And um, it, it's just that, that panic, you know, we want to die when, <laughs> because it's that rebellion period in our lives. And so, um, that uh when you get closer closer to it as you mature then you you're starting to regret it a little bit and um you know they they love it and they hate it they love it and they hate it so um yeah young made a, an, an excellent point on that and then he said that um, life is an energy process, like every energy process. It is in principle, irreversible. And there is therefore inequitably directed towards a goal. 
that goal is a state of rest. In the long run, everything happens is as if it were nothing more than an initial disturbance of a perpetual state of rest, which forever attempts to reestablish reestablish itself. And I, I had this conversation with my mom. And if you guys don't know, my mom survived the Cambodian genocide. And every time I ask her to talk about it, she she thinks about it. I think about it. And um, it bothers her. And I think she feels guilty. Um, if you guys don't know, there's a thing as a thing called survivor guilt. And I think that's what my mom feels. And um, I said to her, Mom, what do you think death feels like? So she told me a story. And she said, your grandfather was a drunken gambler. I said, okay. And she said, I remember when I was a young little girl. And you guys have to remember, this was in the 1960s. Okay? My mom was born in 1962. And, um, I'm sorry, in Batmang, Cambodia, and we're in the village. You have to remember that you know, everybody's old school. So there was beatings. There was abuse. And um, my mom said that my grandfather came home drunk one night after a loss of gambling. And she was young and she said that he tied her up on her arms on in the ceiling and he beat her. And she left, left her for dead. Um... I know that it's disturbing, and I know that's a little bit intense for a first episode, but that's philosophy. We will go through very difficult stories. And um, anyways, she said that she felt like she was going to die and that she was gonna she was losing consciousness. And she said, I remember being in a state of rest. And she said, going, it's like going to sleep. So that was interesting. And my mom is the luckiest person. The most beautiful individual. And I'm glad to have her as a mother because she has escaped death so many times. And she said, I think I have died once and we came back to life. And she said... This, she goes, I can't describe it. It's like you're in a state of unconsciousness. Sleep. You you know how it's like to sleep. I said, yeah. Yeah, mom. I know how it's like to sleep. And she said, yes. It's like you're sleeping. Oh, interesting. And I don't know exactly what young means. When he said that goal is a state of rest. In the long run, everything that happens is, as it were, nothing more than the initial disturbance of a perpetual state of rest, which forever attempts to reestablish itself. I'm not I'm not sure if Young is making the argument about reincarnation or that we are our soul. And that we're trying to come back to life in probably another body form, just like you know, Buddhism. They believe in reincarnation, but I don't know if you guys know this, but Carl Jung, you know, he had his own um, state of, you know, he, I think he almost drowned. Let me look up that information. Um, Almost. It's real. I think when he was little and, um, he had a brush with death. And I'm trying to get that information about. I should have looked it up before I start this. But hey, I'm slightly intoxicated. So I, I didn't get the information that I want. But anyways, 
And um, he said that he was in a state of peace and that he didn't want to come back to life. And that's that's what a person feels. And that's what my mom said. She said it's like a state of rest. And there was one story where a woman died, um, literally died, and she was brought back to life. And she said that she was flying. She was flying through mountains and she was in a state of peace. And, because, and, and, and for some odd reason, something told her not to go at the end of the tunnel. And this is pretty common. A lot of people talk about the end of the tunnel, the light, you know. And so with Young and this woman, um, they didn't want to come back. Um, it's like something was pulling them to the other side. And when my grandmother died, not my grandmother, but uh, my husband's grandmother, I remember having a dream. And I was shopping for supplies. And at the end of the line, if you guys go and check out, um, there's a person that bags. And I remember seeing my grandmother right there and sitting in her in her um, hospital bed. And I said, Grandma, are you ready to go? And before that, we had multiple dreams of Grandma. Uh, my husband, uh, I'm pretty sure my son, uh, because he woke up one night crying and asking for his grandmother. And I, I have dreams about her. And she, like she didn't want to go. So in this particular dream. I asked grandma. Hey. I bought everything that you need. Are you ready to go? And so she looked. Out into. The window. And the sun started to shine. And she said. Yes. I'm ready to go. And I think I was buying supplies for her, for her to depart. And I think that's what it is. I think, you know, they, they need to go. And some, some can make the argument that, you know, you know, in many cultures, we have, you know, like the Japanese, if somebody die a violent death, they can never get revenge and move on. And that's, you see that a lot in the shows, a supernatural where evil ghosts, you know, don't want to go because they want revenge. And I think that's what Young is trying to say. To reestablish itself. And I think that's what he meant. I'm, I'm not really sure he has, you know, he believed in ghosts or anything like that. Or, um, But he continues and he said that um, life is a theology. Teleology. I'm sorry, I can't pronounce this word. This is what you get when you're drinking beer. Teleology par excellence. It is the intrinsic striving towards a goal. And the living organism is a system of directed aims which seeks to fulfill themselves. The end of every process is its goal. All energy, all energy flow is like a runner who strives with the greatest effort and the utmost expenditure of strength to reach his goal. And I think that's just like life is an energy process. I mean, we don't want the goal. And it sounds like Carl Jung was, was saying that, you know, it's like death is like a, it's like a fucking prize. You know, it's like everything that we live for, everything that we work for, only for us to die. Fuck, you know. They're pushing, like, the myth of Sisyphus, Albert Camus, life is absurd. You know, everything that we work for, only for it to be gone when we just deteriorate into nothingness, right? And so, uh, you know, I understand what Carl was trying to say is like a goal. You know, we, we done it. We did everything that we think we are supposed to do in this, in our, I don't know, destiny. You know, you can say that. And it's a completeness of life and we did it. So, and um, it's just that the process of everything has an ending. And I think that's what he's trying to say. And just like I said earlier, you know, the, the life is a energy, energetic process of deterioration and then newness and then deterioration and then newness. And it's just like everything just, 
grows and dies. Everything grows and dies. Just like a volcano, everything erupts and destroy only for land to be built. And I think that's the process. That process needs to happen, unfortunately. And then we all have to die to make way for new people. So, yeah. And he said, the curve of life is like the parabola of a pro projectile which disturbs from its initial state of rest rises and then return to the state of repose. And I don't know. It's like Carl Young is talking about um reincarnation. That's what it sounds like. And just like I said about the volcano, you know, in the state of rest, everybody's in the state of rest and it erupts into life, chaos, only for everything to be destroyed in the process. And this is where everybody dies in the process. And then for it to grow back into beauty and life. And light. You know, light, darkness, light, darkness. The energy process of existence. So, yeah, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. And it's just like in a state of rest, only for... A return to a state of repose and it starts all over again. It starts all over again. Then he continues, we struggle behind of our years, hugging our childhood as if we could not tear ourselves away. I agree with that. And this is where I talk about people who have plastic surgery. So there's a show on E called Botch. It's very addicting and I hate to admit that. But on botch, a lot of people go to have plastic surgery to contain their youth and their beauty, right? And I always make the argument, the observation, the conclusion that these people are just afraid of growing old. And they hold on to childhood. You know, I didn't have a good... I Well... It's not that I didn't have a good childhood. It's just that I have a rough upbringing. And this is because, you know, both my parents, you know, suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder. Therefore, bring it onto their child. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's a lot of trauma and abuse that happened along the way. And not by my mother, but by my father. And we be we'll be talking about that as as we move along in the series. And uh, even if I did have a rough childhood, I know deep down that my mom and dad loves me very much, and I did have really good memories of my childhood. But I have I don't hold on to my childhood, but I hold on to my youth. When I was in my early 20s you know I I felt like it was like the best period of my life and I always want to go back to that but I went into the, like the state of of anxiety you know I experienced anxiety to the full extent and that's pretty much the outcome of my trauma when I was younger and it could be many things you know environmental factors that I'm not really unaware of until you know maybe I've continue going to therapy and it, it all started therapy I, for for a decade I went back and forth you know I had multiple therapies and um you know it all starts in your childhood and you know not only not necessarily our childhood but like we we, we want to hold on to being young you know in western society we're, we we worship youth you know nobody wants to be fucking old nobody wants to be you know broken you know useless to society not not realizing that when you're a baby you are practically useless to society so you know it it looks really bad and nobody wants to you know be in that state of stillness and unusefulness and so um, we hold on to our youth we want to be young again because we can do everything you know, we can play basketball, we can skate, we can do multiple things. And I'm not saying all youth are like this, um, because there are young people that, that comes into this world with disabilities. So, but even then we are, you know, majority of us are young and we can do things. And so, um, being, it's like being an 
a phone, for example. A lot of people want to upgrade to the newest edition of everything. Um, I don't know how many times I have upgraded my technology, you know, everything that I buy. And, and that's, I think that's how Westerners treat people. Like fucking technology products, man. I mean, we want to upgrade to like the newest, newest edition of our phones. I mean, if you see somebody with a fucking flip phone, you're like, ew, gross. You know, you should be upgrading to the newest thing. Like, the like new. You gotta be new. And I think that's with how we view our, our life. We view each other like old iPhones. Upgrade to the newest Windows. Upgrade to the newest OS. Upgrade, 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 upgrade. Not realizing, not respecting the root of which everything grows with the labor that we have provided when we were a lot younger. We don't think about these things. And this is why we hold on to our youth is because that's when it's a time when we were useful. And as you grow older, you're useless. So, I mean, can't blame them for us feeling this way. But, uh, you know, Young continues and he said, we cling to our past and remain stuck in this illusion of youthfulness. Being old is highly unpopular. And uh, he says, our relative longevity, sustained by present day statistics, is a product of civilization. Everybody's a fucking statistics, you know, in the Western society. Everybody's statistics. We have to count everybody. And it's just that's pretty much we're all just numbers. And uh, Western civilization, right? We're all just a bunch of numbers to the government. <laughs> they have to know all this, this information about us. It's just that we're just numbers that just go along and die. Just like everything else. Unfortunately, we become nothing. After we have served our purpose, we have become nothing. And this is why a lot of people, and this is the problem that I have, and I'm pretty sure you might, you kind of, maybe you understand. This is the problem that I have. And like I talked about earlier, you know, I wanted to be famous. Everybody wants to leave their legacy behind. This is where you get the fucking empire. Everybody wants to be kings. Everybody wants to be a superstar. Everybody wants to be queens. You know, we want to be known. We want our name to be known. And this is where, you know, we don't want to be just another number. We want our name to be known. This is why everybody gets into politics. People get into activism. And uh, not knowing that you would just be another name in the encyclopedia of nobodies, right? Of course, you're going to remember Alexander the Great. Of course, you're going to be, you're going to remember Napoleon. You're going to remember Queen Elizabeth, Aristotle, Socrates, Nietzsche. Make a name for yourself, right? Do everything that you can. But when you don't, guys, you fall into depression and it becomes into that cycle. Not everybody is special. And this is why I reject the public education system is because the fact that we are teaching our kids that they're special. Not that I'm going to deny it. Oh, absolutely. I believe my son is special. But there's 7 billion of us. Not everybody can be an Elon Musk. Not everybody can be a Bill Gates. Not everybody can be a Mark Zuckerberg. Okay? And so when you don't feel like that when you feel like you're just gonna be another statistics when you feel you're just gonna be another person like everybody else in the grave with engravings man i don't want to be a nobody and so we, we are in a state of, of anxiety we start to get scared so this is where the anxiety comes in and it sums up everything what what car young is trying to say we just want to stick to our youth at least we're something to somebody. You know? So, uh, 
scares the shit out of everybody. I mean, this is why people want to be a fucking rapper. I dated a rapper when I was a lot younger. And uh, this is where my anxiety, majority of my anxiety come from. You know? I'm like, am I going to make something out of myself? You know, I want to change the world. People change their world every single day and I don't remember them. Unfortunately. And, uh, you know, like the vaccines and all, you know, these doctors these experts and even then I don't even know their name you know and so this is where you know that's just being old is highly unpopular but even then you know celebrities are starting to lose their touch and that you become unpopular as you become older and it scares the fuck out of our people, you know. It scares the fuck out of me. And you're like, I'm gonna die into somebody who's nobody, and that scares people. So, anyways, he goes on and he continues. He said it is quite exceptional for primitive people to reach old age. For instance, when I visit the primitive tribe of East Africa. I saw every few men with white hair who might have been over 60. But they were really old. They seemed to have always been old. So fully had they assimilated their age. They were exactly what they were in every respect. We are forever only more or less than we actually are. It is as, as if our consciousness has somehow slipped from its natural foundations of no longer quite, no longer quite knew how to get along of nature's timing. It seems as though we are from a hybris of consciousness which fooled us into believing that one's time of life is mere illusion. We can be altered according to one's desire. In the West, we have this obsession with health. Take the vitamins. Stop smoking. Exercise. Don't eat bad. And we hear this every single day. You know, when I was a lot younger in elementary school, you know, the pyramid of the food. Eat this food. Eat that food. You want to live forever, do you? Absolute fucking bullshit. <laughs> you know? Excuse my French. But no matter how much apples you eat, no matter... How much miles you run every single day. You're just going to look good. Okay? You're, you're going to look fantastic. And just like I wrote the article for IdeaPod. Why Westerners need to die. Learn how to die. Is because the fact that my Mima, She died of 100, age of 20, 124 years old. And I remember my mom telling me that she wake up every single morning. She's like, ah, oh, fuck. I'm still alive. You know? And there's even an episode on Star Trek. If you guys don't follow Star Trek, I'm going to have a little mini-series called The Wisdom of Star Trek. And there was a... There's characters called Q. And to me, that's Gene Roddenberry's version of what God is. It's a Q. And there was this person who... Q, where he traveled every single universe every single dimension met every species that's in existence throughout the universe and he got really bored and he said i just want to die and he did he died so i don't know if the writers of star trek made it purposely like that but they do make a good point they do point out that Okay, so you're going to be alive. You're going to have the ability to be alive forever. You're going to see things. You're going to do things that you always want to do. You want to jump from different time stamps after another. You get to experience being a cowboy. You get to experience living in the future, traveling the world, only for you to just be bored. If you guys don't know, if you guys watch Star Trek, there was an incident in Voyager where there was a scene where a bunch of Qs were sitting in this old, broken cowboy kind of um, setting, and they were bored. They look bored. And I think that's what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. You're going to live forever, only for you to be bored. All right? 
I mean, can you guys, what, 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 are, what are you guys going to do? You guys going to travel the world, the earth multiple times? I mean, I have never traveled, you know, the first time that I got out of, of Georgia, I was born in Georgia only to be in California. And the first time I have went out California was like a couple months ago. And uh, the earth is beautiful. And there are many things that I want to see. And uh, I know, could you imagine being 124 years old like my grandmother? You know, do the same thing over and over again. And this is where our obsession comes in. This is where we want to live forever because we want to do these things. You know, we want to travel the world multiple times. But then, when it's going to stop? You want to live forever until the end of times? You know, I mean, can you imagine that? Put yourself in that position of the cues in Star Trek. And you have to remember, that's a Gene Roddenberry's version of what he could believe is God. You'll probably get bored. You know, you'll probably get bored. Um, I don't know. You know, it's just a theoretical observation from my intoxicated organ. All right. <laughs> my brain is just right now I'm feeling the buzz. So. And uh, it's just that when you're old, um, if you look at pictures of my grandma, my great-grandma, she doesn't really look old. You know, my great-grandmother, get this, my great-grandmother was 124 years old, and she was looking after my cousins still, and they didn't act old. It's like they respect nature's timing, you know? They understood the aging process, the human process. And, um, you know, Young put it beautifully. He said, to get along on nature's timing, you know, your times are up. And, like, my time is coming up. I'm not saying that I'm going to die right away, but I'm just saying, like, it's coming up. All right. Everybody's time is coming up. Some is a little closer than the other. You know, some are just starting. You know, like my son. He just barely started his life five years ago. But I learned to respect aging. I learned to accept my... That my boobies are not going to be holed up forever. All right? <laughs> when I had a baby, you know, my boobies became a fucking... It was a mere small 32B... All right, and now it's a 36B. <laughs> so I don't know why you have getting information about my sense of bitches. But anyways, you know, that it's like I accept aging. And if you guys meet my mom, my mom is in her 50s. And she does not look like she's in her 50s. <laughs> so it's like we respect time. We get it. You know, we're going to die. And we're not going to live forever. So we understood that. Understand that. So it put a, it put puts it in a, in, in a state of peace. You know? Why? Why get angry at something you cannot control? Right? And um, I have come across millionaires who look their age. <laughs> Okay, I have come across people who are a lot younger. It's because of stress. It's because the you're putting yourself in the state of no, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna die. I'm not gonna accept that. I refuse to accept that. And uh, <laughs> it's just my grandmother knows and uh, she didn't even look her age she looked like she was in her 70s man but that woman broke that <laughs> that Guinness World Record and she was old but she didn't act old you know because you respect time and um, that's where we got the idea where Young was talking about the people, the, the tribe of East Africa 
you know, <laughs> seeing very few men with white hair. But you have to remember, though, white hair, it's, it's, it's all due to stress and everything add on top of it. So I think that's what he meant because people who are in the tribes in East Africa, of course, they're not going to be. They're, they're eating nature's natural food. They don't have sugar. They don't have caffeine into their system. They don't have any of that, you know. So, yeah, you know, young should take that into account as well. But anyways, it's just that where we have to kind of knock it off, knock it the fuck off, that time is a mere illusion where we can alter into one's desire. We we have to use the stoic approach and understand that aging is out of our control. And I, I believe that the moment that you accept that is the moment that you kind of come to in a state of peace. And I recommend it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm much happier that way. And I don't know. Maybe I'm just like tripping, but that's that's how I, I, I I'm in the state that I, I am. Um, I'm stressed just like everybody else. I have white hair, but I have been experiencing white hair for quite some time. And this is go it goes back to, you know, trauma in my childhood days. So anyways, we grant goal and purpose. And this is back to Carl Jung's essay. Um, oh, I'm sorry. It's just, um, I'm reading quotes and I'm just, I'm, I'm picking from the essay, from Carl Jung's essay. And um, I, I forgot to mention the book, but it's from The Meaning of Death. And it's a bunch of essays from great philosophers where they try to, it's like a theoretical theoretical approach to death. So they talk about religious institution on their, their idea of death and things like that. And I apologize, I didn't bring that up earlier. But anyways, he continues, I mean, the one that I, I point out in the essay, he said, we grant goal and purpose to the ascent of life. Why not to the descent? The human being is pregnant with meaning. Why not death? For 20 years and more, the growing man is being prepared for the complete unfolding of his individual nature. Why not the older man prepare himself 20 years or more for his death? Exactly what I have been trying to say. Why not prepare for death in your 30s? Why not? And this is where we fucked up as a human being, as a society, especially Western Western society, Western civilization, is because we believe that we will live forever. And this is our arrogance. Okay, this is the Roman Empire, for example, where they fell to the fucking ground because they believed there were gods. Okay, so... You know, we prepare ourselves. We don't think about the future because we don't, we're afraid of the future. We, we, we are afraid we will fall. And this is where it happens. This is where anxiety comes in. This is where we're, we're afraid of death in general. And so, <laughs> why not? You know, why not? Let's, let's talk about death. Let's see what's going to happen to us after we die. I want to know. I'm not going to get answers. Okay? But... I know that my mother's going to die. I know that my brother's going to die. Brother's going to die. I know that my sister's going to die. And I think that it makes you grieve death easier when you stop fucking acting like you're going to live forever. Okay? And this is where a lot of problems that people have. And this is where I prepare myself. And this is where I respect my husband. Because he prepared for my or his grandmother's death for quite some time and he's taking the death pretty well okay and a lot of problems psychological problems happens when somebody loses another person and we need to kind of stop stop that and break that habitual cycle that we're going to live forever and we need to prepare ourselves because it's going to help you when you're in that deathbed, and I want you to imagine this. This is a philosophy mini-series, okay? So I'm going to put you in a really uncomfortable position because I've done it, and I want you to do it. I want you to think for a second and put yourself in that hospital bed. And this, yeah, you guys, it can happen anytime, man. Life is unfucking predictable And I want to put yourself in that position. And I want you to think and prepare yourself. And ask questions. I know it's going to scare the fuck out of you. But it's going to help you. 
Okay? It's going to make passing a lot easier. The bridge between between life to death to whoever knows the other side is going to be a lot easier. And you're not going to fight it. You know? So, you know, one way that I can, I can like I said, you know, talk about it. Ask these questions. Start to expose yourself to philosophy. And it helps you a lot. It makes you ask these questions and makes you talk about these things and philosophy makes you uncomfortable and that's the point of it. Okay? And so, you know, I'm a lot better. And um, I'm sorry, I'm holding this mic and I'm, I don't have a mic stand just yet. I just bought a new microphone. So it's like I'm holding it so you can hear that thing. I'm so, I apologize for that. But anyways, and it doesn't help that I'm intoxicated. So, um, it helps you, guys. It helps you. It helps you succeed to that next step of death, of soul. I mean, it's it, it's it, we can go on forever about this. So then he says, he then he writes. One might even say that the majority of these religions are complicated systems of preparation for death. So much so that. Life in agreement with my paradoxical formula actually has no significance except as a preparation for the ultimate goal of death. And this is where I love Young. Oh man, he know what he is talking about. And just like like I mentioned earlier, that Kara Young had his brush of death. And uh, maybe religion was <laughs> was made, I guess. And this is I, I I'm I'm going I'm going there you know like it's religions like made like the the idea of heaven and hell for example I have and this is where me and my religious friends kind of get into it a little bit uh, I always make the argument that you know the idea of hell is a way to control the masses these religious institutions I always say this. Now we will talk about it in the future mini series that these religious parasites in the institutions, okay, these religious parasites, meaning the ones who abuses the system for control of the masses, they use hell and heaven. If you act good as a person, you will go to hell. I mean, if you act good, you'll go to heaven. If you're a bad person, you're just gonna go to hell. All right, and uh. It scares the fuck out of me. I, I I remember when, you know, just like I was raised Buddhist, you know, I didn't want to, like, kill a spider, for instance. You know, I was like, okay, I'm going to come back as a fucking spider. I'm just going to get squished. And so it's like a, a cycle of, of using that as a weapon to beat you into submission for a temporary, you know, rule. <laughs> I guess, you know, like a rule to to control you, to to punish you. And so that's uh, like religion is to me, not religion. Uh, like I said, like my 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 BFF Jenner Zeno for the Mind Wave podcast said it perfectly. He said that um, it's a we respect religion, but uh, like I said. You know, a couple minutes ago, these religious parasites—they take it, and they control to control the masses, only for them to abuse it and ruin it for everybody else. So it's it's just that the ultimate goal is death, and um, heaven and hell for example, is a way for us to kind of ease that anxiety just a little bit. And uh, when I was young, I hold a teddy bear. And that teddy bear was my safety net. It protected me from harm. And you guys can have, you guys can have anything in your house right now if you're an older person. 
I don't know, you have your cross, for example, you have your Bible, you have something that your, your, your recent grandmother gave to you or something that your parents gave to you as a, as a, a, a representation or a symbol of safeness. And I think that's the idea of heaven and hell, the passing of your, the next life is for you to feel a little bit better. You know, and, and, and hell is a way, like a justification for people to control other people. So, um, to end this, and Young, you know, uh, he continues on, and, and I recommend it. Uh, let me bring out the book for, um, so I can recommend you guys read the essay. And uh, it's it's fascinating how Young broke that down. And um, is the meaning of death. And the essay is called. It's more like the the introduction. And uh, is the Young's essay is in the first one, and is the soul and death. And um, I did not write the ending of it for some odd reason. Um, you know, you guys don't want to listen to my boring ass. But um, he ended the essay and he said, any existential change. Um, I'm sorry. Let me. No, my son ripped the book. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, he he ripped like a little part of the book. But I'm just going to read like the the any paragraph and he said restlessness begets meaningless and the lack of meaning in life is a soul sickness whose full extent and full import of our age has not yet begun to comprehend and uh you know a lot of people can make the argument what's the point what's the point of doing things you know and when you live a life of a nihilistic dickwad you know, you're going you're gonna to become destructive. And when you die, you want to take everybody with you. But when you prepare and give yourself life purpose, you respect that. You respect nature's time for you. That's done. It's over. There's nothing you can do about it. All right? When you, Like I said, when you have a nihilistic approach on life, you want to take everybody with you. Whereas when you die, you just want to go peacefully on your own. Because me, to me, death is a journey. It's an individual journey. It's a one man or one woman's way to the other side. The portal of emptiness. I don't know. It could be it could be anything. You can fucking I don't know. Maybe the Buddhists got the right idea. Maybe the Christians have the right idea. Maybe the Catholics have a right idea. We don't know. Not that I I'm not saying for you to, you know, question where you're gonna go after death, but um when you live a life of purpose, when you make purpose, you're ready for it. You're ready to go on the other side. So I hope this, you know, first mini series of drunk philosophy, and I'm a little bit buzzed. I, as you can see, I'm I'm kind of burping a little bit. I know it was really disgusting. It's not ladylike, but uh, I hope you guys really enjoy Intoxicated Boone, and I, I and I hope you guys um, support everything that I do and share this. And if you got, if you want to be drunk, come on Drunk Philosophy. Let me know. Um, hit me up um, as I share this on my social media. You guys can come along. We can talk about anything and everything. Um, because I, I, I really support the idea of being in a state. It, it, I wouldn't be able to talk about death or anything <laughs> like in a happy mood that I am. I'd probably get really depressed. But when I'm intoxicated like I'm now, I am now, I wouldn't say I'm intoxicated. I'm buzzed. But it helps a lot. It it kind of lessened my mood a little bit. And so you understand the material. And um, I, I really hope that I, I get on fucking LSD. And just like, you know, the, the, the philosophers that I talked about earlier, like Jean-Paul Sartre, Abba Camus, Michel Foucault, 
you know, they, they they took drugs to expand and interrupt that consciousness, you know, the systematic consciousness that everybody experiences, you know, when they're alive or awake, you know. So um, it helped me out and makes me understand the material that I'm reading to you. And I hope that it helps. And I hope that you guys are listening to this intoxicating yourself because it's really interesting and it makes me understand things a little bit more. And it makes me more um, open to new ideas. And that's that's what I want to I, I, that's the state that I want to be in. And of course, I'm going to be, you know, recording when I'm on LSD or you know, magic mushrooms and and uh, anything to expand the way that I look in life is 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 my my goal that I want to um the goal that I wanted to achieve and uh hey you know giving my, my life a little purpose or something to do you know so I hope you guys enjoyed this first mini series about soul and death and we went there guys so um there's gonna be more to come and uh as always guys stay far out bye